You're listening to the Church on the Move Roswell podcast. We hope this message inspires you, encourages you, and challenges you to take your next step with Jesus. Thanks for listening. Let's check it out. Anyway, hey guys, uh, let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. If you were here Wednesday night or watched online, then you saw that I began uh, just to kind of wet the whistle for today, what's going to happen today. And so today, before we enter in to the book of Revelations, which is, woo, it's going to be good when we get in there. Um, I'm going to teach some principles that we need to understand to even understand the book of Revelations. And the lack of understanding of these things is what has caused people to get so crazy about the book of Revelations. I mean, there's just so many people that are so off or confused or scared of the book of Revelations or just don't even understand what it's about. And so we need to understand these principles of God's word. And when we understand the principles, then we'll understand the book of Revelations as much as we can. Amen. Uh, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 6 says, However, there is a wisdom that we, are continu- that we continually speak of when we are among the spiritually mature. Uh, guys, listen. Uh, only the spiritual mature understand the, the wisdom of God at certain levels. The Bible says deep calls to deep. And so God, that's speaking of God, the more spiritually mature you become, the deeper God takes you in the word. And let me just give you an example of that. Uh, if you've been, a, you know, if you're a young Christian, you might have experienced this already. But I know if you've served the Lord for a while, you've experienced this several times. That you've read scripture, uh, the same scripture last year or five years ago, and then you read it again years later, and it's like, oh man, I didn't see that. Why? Because deep calls the deep, and the more spiritually mature you are, the deeper he takes you in your understanding of the word. That's how it works. That's what he's talking about right here. That's why Jesus said, um, I no longer call you servants, but I call you friends. And now that you're my friends, I'm gonna tell you the secrets. I'm gonna tell you the mysteries of what is happening and what is gonna happen. And so they went from servants to friends. What happened? Their relationship got deeper. They became more spiritually mature. Now they could handle. That's why Jesus didn't just tell them everything all at once. They couldn't handle it. He had to tell them in stages. The whole three years he walked with them, he would tell them this and then this, and he had to build upon it. As they grew spiritually, they could understand the deeper meanings and the deeper things of God. It's the same way with us. So he says this. It's wisdom that didn't originate in this present age, nor did it come from the rulers of this age who are in the process of being dethroned. Um, You have to understand that in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, it says that almost uses the same, or or Ephesians chapter 6, it almost uses the same terminology when it talks about the the rulers of this world being part of a demonic world a legion group of demons that are organized in certain order and and God's talking about right here they never understand what God is doing they never they're always they're being dethroned they don't understand they didn't understand in that present age they don't understand in this present age but we are to understand but God speaks in mysteries he speaks in secrets listen to what else he says 
Instead, we continually speak of this wonderful wisdom that comes from God, hidden before now in a mystery. It is his secret plan. God has secret plans. And when you have secret plans in a war, you don't want the enemy to know what they are. That's in any human thing, that's in any human war, and that's in any spiritual war. So God speaks in mysteries, he speaks in secrets, and Jesus spoke in parables. And so that's all the mystery and all the stuff that he, that how God carries a secret plan, but just like he said to the apostles, he said, I no longer call you servants, I call you friends. I'm going to tell you the mysteries. I'm going to tell you now the secrets. So we are to understand the secret plans in the mysteries. He wants us to understand those things, but in order to understand them, we have to understand the principle of how the book of Revelation is written and what it refers to, what it references, and the, just the principles of God and how he speaks to his people, how he speaks to us. Listen to this. It is a secret plan destined before the ages to bring us into glory. To bring us to heaven. He had a secret plan to get us to heaven, to save us from hell, uh, open the doors to heaven to us. He had a secret plan. And he's not just referring to his plan, um, uh, you know, 5,000 years ago or 2,000 years ago or today or yesterday. He's talking about his plan all the way to glory, all the way to the end. There's secrets, there's mysteries, there's prophetic words that are written uh, from from the beginning to the end, all the way through, and he wants to show us those things and teach us those things. I don't know about you, but that's exciting. God wants to tell me secrets. He wants to tell you secret plans and mysteries. I I spent weeks talking about your destiny, the dream in which God, the plan in which God created you for, and how you get that is you gotta grow spiritually. You gotta get closer and closer to God because he doesn't speak in the big things. He'll speak in the big things of who, what he is, what he is about, but he only speaks in a whisper as who he is. You don't shout secrets. You know, you ever been around somebody and you told them a secret? And then they're telling somebody else, and they're like, hey, did you hear that? So everybody in the room's like, you're like, hey. Keep that on the down low. Man. You know, or you're trying to tell them something. Hey, hey, I just want to tell you. And they're going, what? Huh? What? That's a secret. What? You're like, hey. You got to be close to God to hear that still, small voice, to hear the secrets and the mysteries. He's not, he's not shouting them from the rooftop. He's speaking to the hearts. Deep calls to deep. Those who go deeper are going to get more and more revelation of what he did, what he's doing, and what he's going to do. Then he says this. None of the rulers of this present world order understood it, for if they had, they would never have crucified the Lord of shining glory. Wow. This is one of the principles I want to teach you right here. This is written after Jesus has died and resurrected and gone to heaven. It's written after the fact, but what does he do? He teaches us a current doctrine of God, a principle of God, and then he refers back to something that already happened in the word. 
He teaches, let me say it again, he teaches a principle of God, a doctrine of God, something we're supposed to live by, and then he takes us back to something that's already happened. So he's saying, listen, I still got mysteries, and I got stuff I want to tell you, and then he compares it to the, how, he, how he kept it a mystery that Jesus Christ was going to die for our sins and be raised from the dead. Why did he keep it a mystery? He just said right there. If he wouldn't have kept it a mystery, Satan and the demons would have never whispered in the ears of the people, crucify him, crucify him. He'd have never done that. If he knew that his defeat was on the cross, he'd have never called for it. Principle of God. Now, a couple weeks ago, and man, guys, I, I very, very rarely... I, God has spoken to me in more in what is called a vision. A vi the difference between a vision and a dream is a vision is a waking thought in your imagination. You're awake, and, you, and God just shows you something in your imagination. A dream is something when you're sleeping. And I don't ever remember stuff when I'm sleeping. I, I think I can remember two dreams for years. That's all I remember. One of them was just goofy. I have no idea. Ate too many green chilies, whatever, something happened. And just had some goofy dream. And then, but the other one happened a few weeks ago, and it was surreal. When I think about the word surreal, I think it should be called so real. You want to know the difference between a dream that is spiritual, and it could be spiritually demonic or spiritually from God. I'll tell you the difference. When you're in a dream that's spiritual, it's like you're in it. It seems real, so real, so real. You're, it's, it's like, wow. You wake up thinking, Am I, what's going on? I've known children and people that have what's called night terrors, and they, are, they wake up screaming because they feel like they're in those moments. That's demonic. I know others that have had dreams of God, and they feel like they're in it. It's exactly what John said. John said, on the Lord's day, I don't know if this really happened to me, or if I was in the spirit, or if it was a dream. He said, but this is what I saw. And that's how he wrote the book of Revelations. And so I thought, for weeks, I thought, that really happened to me. And I'm thinking, who did I say that to? Because in this dream, I said something. And it's going, man, it's going, this is going to rock your world. I'm getting, you guys ready? Is there any seatbelts on those chairs? Buckle up, man. Strap down, buckle up, harness because this is going to rock your world. So anyway, so I'm thinking it really happened, and I'm trying to figure out, who did I say that to? When did that happen? And I can't figure out. It's just weird. It was just weird. And I'm like, man, and then it wouldn't leave me alone. I kept hearing this phrase that I said that I knew was prophetic. I knew it was from God, uh, and I knew it, and I'm like, well, who did I say that to? And then Saturday, I'm sitting, and I'm meditating, praying, studying, uh, and man, it's like, God won't leave me alone with this thought. And then I realized, I, I, that didn't really happen. And then I realized it was a dream. And God was showing me something prophetic for this day, for this service in that dream. And in that dream, I'm talking to somebody. I don't even know who it was. But I'm, I could feel a smile on my face. And there was this joy, in, I mean, a great joy inside of me. And I could, I could see through my own eyes, and I could see my hand, and I'm going, I'm going, this is it. You guys ready? You ready? I say, with joy in my heart and a smile on my face, God 
has a plan. You didn't, oh, you didn't catch it. You didn't, you didn't catch this. Guys, in every circumstance of your life, God has a plan. He has a plan. Some of you still have me caught. You're like, Pastor Troy, I was ready for some heavy, heavy. That is heavy. You need to understand. God always and forever has a plan. Okay. Let me show you in the book of Ecclesiastes how he plans. Go with me to Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse 9. This is how he plans. This is, this is supernatural. Get ready. That which has been is what will be. That which has been is what will be. That which is done is what will be done, and there is nothing Come on, there is nothing, nothing, nothing under the sun. Nothing new. Nothing new. Nothing new. That which, that which has been will be. We, that's where we get the term history repeats itself. History repeats itself. Let me say it again. History repeats repeats itself, and God's teaching us a principle, and I'm gonna go deeper into this, of how he looks back and he says, what was, or what has been, and then today, what will be. What has been today, down here, is what will be. History repeats itself. God wants to teach us this principle. He wants, and he teaches it, he's been teaching it to us over and over and over and over again in the Bible. That which has been. What has been? Do you ever think that the book of Genesis might have something to do with the book of Revelations? What has been? It is what will be. God speaks in secrets. He speaks in mysteries. He speaks in pictures. He speaks in parables. What has been is what will be. I really believe that we can take revelations, go back to Genesis, and what has been will be again. And then I'm going to show you exactly how he, when he says that. He says it over and over and over again. Let's go to the next Ecclesiastes verse. This is Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verse 8. Check this out. If this isn't confirmation, the end of a thing is better than its... An end of a thing is better than its beginning. What is the beginning? Genesis. Adam and Eve in the garden. Just two people. But there's Satan there. They're in a beautiful paradise, but there's two human beings, but Satan is there. The consequences of evil are there. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil is there. I mean, there's stuff in that garden. 
So it was beautiful at the beginning, but oh boy, is it so much better at the end. Genesis starts in a garden, but Revelation ends in eternal life in heaven forever where there is no devil, there are no demons, there is no tree of the knowledge of good and evil. There's God in us forever. The end of a thing is better than the beginning. So everything we see in Genesis that we can relate to Revelations, the Revelations is going to be bigger, better, bolder than Genesis. Oh, I can't wait to show you. This is going to be so good. But first, I want to remind you that God turns all things around for our good. Why do we need reminding of that? Because God will allow evil to rise. Let me say it again. God will allow evil, evil people to rise up. He does it. He lets them rise up for the set up. Let me say it again. He lets them rise up for the set up. Because God has a plan. He's got a plan. His plan always ends with V-I-C-T-O-R-Y, victory. Victory is God's cry. It always ends in victory for him and us. Because God has a plan. He lets them rise up for the setup. And he's done it over and over and over again. He does it over and over again. And you know what's crazy? In the middle of the evil rising up, he gives them unbelievable opportunities to get their hearts right. He gives them opportunity after opportunity after opportunity to get their hearts right. It's unbelievable how many opportunities, how patient God is. That's why he said next in that verse, can you pull that back up, Ecclesiastes 7.8? He says next in that verse, the patient in spirit is better than the proud in spirit. God doesn't want us to operate in pride and arrogance. He wants us to operate with patience. He wants us to wait on him to fulfill his plan, and he's waiting on us. He wants to save as many human beings as possible. He said in Peter, he said, man, in 1 Peter, he said, Hey, listen, I'm not slack like some people think of laziness. I'm not lazy. He's correcting, he's, he's correcting his people. Because they're like, Jesus, why aren't you coming back? He said, hold on a second. Don't treat me like I'm lazy or I've forgotten or I'm slack. I don't do my job. He said, hold on a second. I'm patient because I want all people to come to the knowledge of me. I want to save everybody I can. Jesus, God said, I'm going to save everybody I can. He's not, he's not slack and he's not forgotten. He's patient in spirit. And that's why he calls upon us. He said, pray for every human being, every man, every human being on the planet. Every day I say that prayer. God, I lift up every human. You told me to pray for everyone. You said to pray for all men everywhere. I pray for every human being on the planet. Every day I pray. I say, God, I don't know their names. You know them. I pray for every one of them. That you'll send laborers. 
and that you'll minister to them and you'll save their lives. That's what we're called to do, to pray for everybody. Not just the ones we know and the ones we love, but everyone, that they'll come to the knowledge of God. And God's just being patient. God is unreal. He's unbelievably patient. And I, I'm for one, I am so grateful I didn't die when I was in the world and lost. I was so grateful for his mercy, his grace, and his patience with me. That he gave me room and a space to grow and find him and to submit my life and surrender my life to him. He wants to do that for all of us. Now we know in John 16, 13, we know this, that only the Holy Spirit can guide you into truth. It's only the Spirit of God that can reveal these mysteries, these secret plans. You have to have the Holy Spirit. You can't have the Holy Spirit unless you surrender your life to the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why people, and then you have to be, we found out in, uh, in Corinthians right there, you have to be spiritually mature. That's why the spiritually immature never know, they always seem to be reacting to things, never really out in front. Because, you know, the, the Bible talks about, I went in ankle deep, then knee deep, then chest deep, then over my head deep. He's talking about going deeper and deeper into the things of God and getting closer and closer to God. But a lot of people just want to stay ankle deep because they're so caught up in their past and they're not delivered. God said, I want to deliver you from your past. We need deliverance. Jesus is the deliverer. He wants to deliver us from our past so that we can start to see what's coming and we can go deeper in the things of God. Not just things coming in the big picture that we're going to talk about to the world, but things coming in your life, my life. He wants to show us these secret plans and these mysteries in our personal life as well as in the big picture of the whole world. He wants us to see it so we can walk out the plan of God. And he wants us to expect to win. Church family, I said he wants us to expect to win, not lose. He said, I made you more than conquerors. Didn't make you a conqueror. God never does even. He said, your cup runneth over. He said, I'll do abundantly, super abundantly more than you dared ask for a dream. God's always the God of more, more than enough. He said, listen, I made you more than a conqueror. You're not just a conqueror, you're more than a conqueror. Then he spoke this. He said, Jesus said, there will be trouble and tribulation in this world, but be of good cheer. I've overcome this world. I've defeated it. I've deprived it of its power to harm you. We need to expect victory. We need to expect to win this thing. We have to come to the book of Revelations. We have to come to, and face evil with an expectation of victory. I love Ephesians chapter 6 when he talks about putting all the full armor of God. And I never understood it till I got deeper into things of God. And he said, stand. I'm like, stand? God, I want to attack. You know what he said to me? He said, why would you attack? I'm like, because we got to get this thing going on. Take some ground. He said, take some ground. He said, I've already won the victory. He said, you're not, you're not trying to get up the hill to get on top of the mountain. He said, I'll put you on top of the mountain. You're standing in victory. You're nowhere to go. There's nowhere to go from victory. That's why he said, put on the full armor of God and stand your ground. That's why he said, occupy this earth till I come back. Occupy what? Occupy victory. Occupy the, the stand of victory on top of the mountaintop. He said, stand your ground because you're already victorious. I already won the war. Now you just defend the victory.
But there's nowhere to attack. The Satan's attacking you. You just beat them down with the word of God and the shield of faith. You just, you just keep them down where they are, defeated. Defeated. Satan's a defeated foe, not a victorious one. We just read, if he would have known what was going to happen when he killed Jesus, what did I tell you? He lets them rise up for the setup because God always has a plan. Always has a plan. Let me tell you, I didn't say this in first service, but I, I sent that text out to my family, and then I knew I was going to speak it to my church family today. And right after that happened, Julie said, hey, there's no hot water. Our hot water heater just went out. Of course, on Saturday. No plumbers coming out on Saturday, right? So we looked at each other. We talked about it for a minute, and then we, I mean, I had texted out. She had read it. And we, I mean, we, this was crazy. We both were doing something in the kitchen, and we're talking about it, and we turned to each other and we said, but God has a plan. <laughs> He's got a plan in the little things and the big things that we face. If you'll stick with him, he's got a plan. He's got a plan. He's a, it's a plan of victory. It's a plan of success. He's always setting Satan up. Oh, it's the setup. He's setting them up. He lets them rise up for the setup because God always has a plan. Now, now I want you to look at the, the scriptures on Noah because I said I'm going to talk about Noah and we're going to get to Noah right now. Let's go. Here we go. Noah's in Genesis, by the way. And what happened in Genesis is going to be reflective of what's going to happen in the book of Revelations. So we need to understand Noah. Uh, no, that's not, that's not the scripture. It's, uh, it's Matthew, um, oh, we read that one first. No, it's Luke chapter 17, verse 26 and 30. No, 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 that's not right. We haven't got to that. That's not right. No, it, the first scripture of the slideshow is Matthew uh, 24, I think it is. There it is, 24, 37. I don't know if you can move that up for next service. But it says, for what will be like it was in the days of when the Son of Man appears. So we know, here again, here's the principle of God. He takes what happened before and says it's going to happen again. But he says what happened before is not going to be as good as what's going to happen now. But it's the days of Noah. It's the days. What, ha what was happening in the days of Noah? The Bible says violence filled the earth. Violence filled the earth. And there was so much sexual sin and violence, and it was crazy. Sin was rising. He lets them rise up for the setup because God always has a plan. Always. So we see sin rising. We see this happening. And we see. Uh, what, we, what many of us, I didn't watch this, but I, I saw this reported on the news and I researched it and found out it was absolutely true. And so this is Sam Smith. If you can put that next slide up, please. This happened at the Grammys where he sung the song Unholy, which went viral, which is crazy to me. This song went viral. I guarantee you some of the young people in this room, you've watched that. I'm going to warn you right now. 
You think this is a game? You think this artistic expression? You think what Madonna did with crucifixes and nun uh, uh, clothing and what Lady Gaga does is funny? You think some one of these rock and rollers that have written songs about satanic worship and worshiping Satan is a game? That's not artistic expression. It's who they really are. Always has been. Most people don't know it, but Sammy Davis Jr., if you look at old pictures of him, he has a red pinky finger. Fingernail paint, red. Several other actors used to wear this in the 70s and 80s, 60s, even in the 50s. That was a mark of satanic worship. They were dedicated to Satan. Several actors, they worship Satan. This is who they really are behind the scenes, 10 times worse than this. No one left the Grammys that I know of. No one got up and walked out. No one, there's crickets. There were Christian artists there, never have said a word denouncing this. This is an artistic expression. This is flat out Satan worship. And if young people think it is, man, you're gonna be in sad shape in your future because not only is this not artistic expression, but there are demonic entities attached to this crap that will get a hold of your life and they'll start convincing you of things Oh my gosh, they'll get a stronghold in your mind and they'll lead you places you'll wish you never had gone. Just a warning. Just a warning. This is not artistic, artistic expression. This is flat out satanic worship. No one walked out. Crickets from all the stars that were there. There's not all of them, but there's many in the music industry, many in acting, many in our political landscape, Republican and Democrat. This is who they are behind the scenes. And this is who they want our children to be. This went by, that song, Unholy, went viral. So that tells me a ton of our young people are watching this stuff, inviting that kind of stuff into their lives. Unholy instead of holy. Thinking it's cool. Oh my goodness, guys. This has serious spiritual implications. This does too. Next slide, please. Transphobia is sin. This is just one example of a minister. He's transitioning his 12-year-old son into a girl medically, uh, doing it with glee, and now he's calling what is good evil and what is evil good. Listen, they always want to attach a phobia to us. I, this is just a side note. Homophobia, transphobia, all this phobias. Listen, they're trying to attach mental illness. A phobia is an undue fear of something that's not reality. First of all, we're not afraid. Not afraid. I love people. I want people to get saved. I'm going to tell them the truth in love, but I'm not one bit afraid of transgender or homosexuals, or I'm not one bit afraid of any of that. But they want to label us with a phobia with some kind of mental illness. Just keep that in mind as this time grows closer to the return of Jesus, because they don't let crazy people stand in the pulpit and say anything. They don't let crazy people go to your job. This is a label, and it's on purpose, because we're crazy, right? That's what they wanted you to believe. They're not crazy. He's not crazy transitioning his son to a girl at 12. We're crazy for saying we think that's crazy. I read today, Dyke, Dyke sent me this, one of my friends, Dyke Dawson. He sent a deal that said, hey, there's a shortage of conspiracy theories out right now because they've all come true. Those people crying conspiracy theory, 
They've turned out to be the biggest liars in our nation. Next slide. But went to Denver several years ago. I don't know how many churches had the rainbow flag up in Denver. The body of Christ, this isn't the body anymore. Church after church after church flying these flags and celebrating these things. Again, we love people, but we're not going to celebrate sin. I don't celebrate adulterers. I'm not going to fly an adulterer's flag. I'm not going to fly a pedophile flag. We're not going to fly a bestiality flag. We're not going to fly a people. We're not going to fly a flag celebrating sex outside of marriage. We're not going to fly a homosexual flag either. It's all sexual sin. Sex is, was made of God, created by God, between a man and a woman in marriage, and that wedding bed is blessed, 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 blessed. But anything other than that is not, 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 not. Pastor Sean, I was in New York City. I didn't see this, but Pastor Sean said every place he went in the boroughs of New York City, that church after church after church had this flag flying. Next, next thing. He said a God's flag. Satanic Temple opens new abortion clinic to kill babies and ritualistic abortions in New Mexico, our state. Only one that's in existence in our state. In our state. So they're going to have an abortion and they're going to perform a ritualistic satanic deal, killing that, murdering that child, bleeding that, that child out, and using their blood as a, as a sacrifice to Satan and sacrificing those women that are going through those abortions to Satan too. Only happening in New Mexico. We see this coming. That's why I talk to you. Hey, guys, God has. And let me, let me just say this to you. We'll get into it more next week. God will allow evil to rise up. And guess what? The whole time, he'll allow people to, to rise up and cooperate with evil, and he will not violate their free will. He lets them do what they want to do. Let's them do what they want to do. But remember, they rise up for the setup because God has a plan for the state of New Mexico. He's got a plan. Come on. He's got a plan. Now, put Luke up there. It's another reference to Noah, Luke chapter 17, verse 26 through 30. Uh, it says, the same things that happened in the days of Noah will take place in the days of the Son of Man. That's a repeat of Matthew, but he goes deeper. Luke goes deeper into this thing. Next verse. They were eating, they were drinking, they were marrying, and they were given in marriage until the day of Noah, boarded the ark, and de this devastating flood came and swept them all away. To the day. Let me just say this to you, church family, about Noah. I said we're going to get to Noah. We're going to get to Noah right here. Noah built that ark for anywhere from 120 years to 150 years. I've heard two arguments for both. But we know he built it for at least 120 years. And people were marrying and partying and giving in marriage. So I just want to tell you, there's going to be ups and downs because of evil of the economy. But there's always going to be an economy. Because when people are, it's not going to be like The Walking Dead or, you know, 2012 or, you know, the book of Eli. Why? Because people don't do these things when it's catastrophic, right? 
If it's catastrophic and the sun's dark and nuclear war's taking place and there's no vegetation on the planet, they're not marrying and, and doing these things. It's chaos. There's always going to be an economy. There's always going to be stuff happening. And what did they do? They did that all the way up until the day Noah boarded the ark and the devastating flood came and swept them away. When Jesus comes, it's going to be a normal day. Kids are going to be in school, go to work. Normal day. Normal day. So what is the sign? What is the sign of Noah? What is, this, what is he talking about with Noah? Listen, he's saying if you want to watch and know when the Son of Man is coming again for the final time, watch the people of God prepare. Noah built that ark for 120 years. The reason God had him do that, God could have supernaturally had all kinds of crazy stuff happen. He could have sent angels to build that ark. But he had, he, he took, it was supernatural still, but he took, no, he let it take time. Why? Because it was a warning to the people. What's happening in the churches right now, what's being taught, what's taking place, evil rising is a warning. This is a warning. I'm coming. I'm coming. This is a warning. What's happening in Israel, what's happening in the body of Christ is a warning. Again, Noah, that story takes place in Genesis. So what's taking place at the beginning, now there's something going to happen at the end that's parallel to it. Similar to it, but what did the Word of God say? Better. It's going to be better than what happened with Noah. Put the next verse up there. He said, so the days of the Son of Man can also be compared to the days of Lot. The people of that time lived their lives as normal. They got married, raised families, built homes and businesses. See, there's going to be an economy. Young people, don't worry about it. If Jesus doesn't come back you know, tomorrow or next year, or two, you're going to get married. You're going to build homes. There's going to be an economy. What are we supposed to be doing? Living our lives. But we're supposed to be living our lives different. Our lives are supposed to be lived in the blessings and goodness of God, but we're supposed to be part of what Noah and Lot was, that we know what's coming, so we're supposed to tell everybody. Let me say it again. We're supposed to tell everybody. Lot and Noah, they, when they saw Lot pack up and start walking out of that city with his family, they should have got right in behind him and walked out with him. When they saw Noah building that ark, they should have said, hey, Noah, give me a hammer, buddy. I'm, I'm getting on this thing. I don't know what it is. I don't know what's going to happen, but I'm getting, I see God preparing to do something. I see something's coming. I see something happening. It's imperative. It's imperative, man, that we pray for the lost. It's imperative we share Jesus out of love for them with everybody we possibly can all around the world. It's imperative you never quit giving up on your family, inviting them to church. It's imperative you don't quit praying. You pray to your last breath for the lost in your family. You pray for them, pray for them, pray for them, because it's going to be a normal day. They got married, raised families, built homes and businesses, yet they were totally what? Of what was coming until the day Lot departed from Sodom. 
God says in Genesis chapter 6, verse 8, he says, Noah found favor in the eyes of God. This is what I want you to get out of these two stories too. Lot and Noah weren't saved. Lot wasn't saved when he left the city. Noah wasn't saved when he got on the boat. Noah was saved when he found favor and the grace of God entered his life. We're not, gonna, we're not saved when Jesus comes back from, for us. We're saved when? Right now. We heard the word of salvation. That's how we got saved. Noah heard the word. Noah, build an ark. I'm going to save you. He was saved right then. God can sink an ark. The ark didn't save him. God saved him. Lot could have, I mean, all kinds of things could have happened with Lot. He could have built an umbrella over him. I, I mean, leaving wasn't what saved him. Finding favor in the eyes of God and the grace of God on Lot's life. And his, his cousin Abraham prayed for him, prayed for his salvation, and rescued Lot. There's some morals to this story. We need to be very aware. It's going to be a normal day. God says he's going to come as a thief in the night. On a normal day, normal night, normal time. Evil will rise, but evil has risen many times. Did in Noah's day, did in Sodom and Gomorrah, and it will today. But he lets them rise. He lets them rise up for the setup because God always has a plan, plan to save us, a plan to save everyone who wants to be saved. All the way up to the day, God, they, they remained so unaware and they watched Lot prepare. They saw the four, the angels came into the city. They knew they were angels. They spoke, Lot spoke to them. I mean, it's his leaving, packing up his family and leaving, spoke to them like, we're getting out of here. We're leaving. God sent angels to them. God sent 120 years of building an ark to them. God sent the body of Christ to the world. He said, look at my people preparing for me to come back. Wake up. Wake up, church. Because Jesus is coming. I don't know when. I don't know the day or the hour, but I know it could be just, it could be tonight. You need to be ready. Noah was ready. The day the flood was coming, Noah was ready. The day that Sodom and Gomorrah was, hellstones were going to fall on that place, the sides of Volkswagens on fire. Can you imagine the explosions? Hellstones the size of Volkswagens coming down and exploding in fire. How devastating that was. We need to wake up the world. We need to stop being part of them. We need to separate ourselves from the world, not so that we can ignore them or hate them or shun them, so that they see there's two sides to this war. There's God's side and Satan's side, and that's it. There's only two sides. There's not three, there's not four, there's no gray area, there's no middle road. Matter of fact, God said, if you're lukewarm, I'll spew you out. We gotta get on fire for the things of God because there's lives at stake. There's people that you love at stake. 
You know, there's people I love. I pray, man, I, I, I pray with everything inside of me for them that they will know Jesus as the Lord of their life. They'll surrender. Listen, the only way you get saved and you find grace in God's eyes is if you surrender. My body, my mind, my spirit is yours, Lord. You'd be shocked how many blessings you'll walk in if you'll surrender all of it. You'll walk in tremendous blessings. You'll always believe, no matter what happens to you, what tribulation, what problems, God has a plan. It's a good plan, and he's going to rescue me. He's going to turn it around. He's going to bless me. He's going to help me. He's going to comfort me. He's going to dry my tears. He's going to dust me off. He's going to put me back on the mountain of victory. He has a plan. I still wonder. Gray-haired. 60, still bow-legged and pigeon-toed and squinty-eyed. Why God still has me doing this. It's because he has a plan. And he knows that there's a passion inside of me to see people come to heaven with us. And that same passion needs to be alive in you. Quit playing games with God. Last thing I'm going to say about Lot, there's a couple stories in there. One of them is that his wife turned back and looked. She wanted that world back. She wanted to be back in that culture of the world. I'm going to warn, this is a warning. Those of you who keep backsliding and backsliding and coming back, backsliding. Listen, I always want you to run back, I just, but it's a warning. The children of Israel tempted God ten times. He put God to the test 10 times. Lot's wife put God to the test. And the children of Israel's heart went cold and they ended up in a dry land, in a dry place, dying. Lot's wife turned into a pillar of salt. Salt kills everything. You put salt, the Romans buried Carthage, the city of Carthage, in a, like a foot deep of salt because they wanted to kill everything. They knew salt kills everything. That's why if you gargle with salt water, you have a little sore throat, it'll kill every bacteria in there. Salt does that. That's why she turned in, she died looking back one time too many. I don't know when that is in your life, but you gotta quit living in the past. You gotta quit looking back. Quit running back to the world and partying and doing this and doing that and coming back to, listen, God, I want you to always come back, but sometimes it reaches a point there's no coming back from it. Don't put yourself in that situation. Come back today and stay. And if you fall, fall forward. Say, golly, God, I missed it, but I'm running to you, not away from you. No more will I run away. Every eye closed, please, just to remove all distractions from your life. Those who are right with God, you need to, every time I do this, you need to be praying. There needs to be a buzz in this room of prayer in the spirit and in the natural. God save, God move, God help, God bless. God show your mercy. There needs to be a buzz in this room. Let me say it again. There needs to be a buzz of prayer. People praying right now that know Jesus for the lost in this room, the, the lost look, work, uh, watching online, the people that keep running back to the world and won't give all. Listen, God gives all. He gave all. 
This is what he said to you and to people that are, that think, well, if God would just show me that he loves me, if he would just do this and do this, I'm going to tell you, until you believe this, you're never going to see that. What is this? This is this. That God already demonstrated how much he loves you. When Jesus hung like a piece of meat on the cross for your sins and mine. He said, I already proved that I loved you. He already proved it to you. And if you won't believe the cross, then it won't matter. Matter what he does for you now. You won't believe it. You won't live for it. You'll take it like so many do. You'll take what the blessing, the goodness of God. You know, I know so many have been in accidents and had issues and for a month or six months, a year. They're, you know, they're on fire for God because of this thing or that trauma, that thing. And then they're right back in the world because it's never enough for you. This needs to be enough to trust him that he loves you, that he died for your sins and mine. It's just got to be enough. When you believe that, it'll be easy to believe that he'll take care of this problem and this issue and that. But you first must believe that he already proved that he loved you by dying for you, dying for me. That's what you must believe. Right here, right now, accept the fact that God already proved he loved you. You'll believe that with all your heart. God's in all your heart, God. He's all in. He did everything and all he could do to save us. That's why he asked us to love him with all our heart, to surrender our whole life to him because he surrendered his whole life to us. He doesn't ask us to do something that he hasn't already done and at such a higher level than we ever possibly could. He wants all of you, not part of you. So today, if you've never prayed, and you want to pray and surrender your whole life, everything, your past, your present, your future, your mind, your body, your spirit, and just say, God, I don't even know how to do all that, but I do it. I choose right now to give you all of me and teach me how to receive all of you and teach me how to live for you at all in. Because we're not born knowing how to do that with anything. But we can be born again in the Spirit. And God will teach you and me how to love Him with all, how to surrender all and be all in. He'll teach us step by step. Start today, right now. Right now, today. So whether you're online or here, if you're online, send us a message. I'm going to be all in today. I'm praying to be all in today, today, today. I know I have family watching. Man, if you're not all in, pray today and get all in. Please, please. Those who love Jesus, We've cried many tears for you. Those in this room, you had family cry many tears for you. Praying for you, believing for you. That God will protect you 
until you make the right choice. But it is a choice because God's a God of freedom. He gives people try. You can choose evil or good. You can choose heaven or hell. You can choose blessing or cursing. You can choose life or death. It's your choice. But if today you choose life instead of death, you choose heaven instead of hell, you choose the lordship of Christ instead of, instead of being under the foot of Satan dominating your life. You choose freedom, the freedom that only God can give over slavery to sin. Slavery to evil. You choose freedom to live life and life to the full serving God. If that's today, online, send us a message. For the first time I'm praying, or for the next time I'm praying, I thought, man, I, I, I'm about halfway in, but today I'm going all the way in. In this room, on the count of three, you want to get right with God, whether for the first time, or if you're coming back and you're saying, this is it, I'm sticking. No matter what happens, no matter what I do, what so-and-so does, I'm serving God. I'm just going to keep running to God, and running to God, and running to God, no turning back. If that's today, on the count of three, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand boldly and say, it is me. And then right where you're seated, we're going to pray. Right where you're at online, we're going to pray. Here we go. One, two, three. Just raise your hand boldly. Yes. Yes. Thank you. God bless you. God bless you. That's awesome. Let's pray right now with those in this room and those online. Pray this with me. Let's go. Say, God, I believe you are God and God alone and that you love me. And you sent Jesus. He died on the cross for my sins. You proved that you loved me. You raised him from the dead by the same Holy Spirit that you want to change me, that will come and live in me. And because I believe that, I say to you, Jesus, you are the Lord Jesus Christ of my life. I surrender my life to you. And I ask you, Father, in Jesus' name, to forgive me of all of my sins. And I receive your, your forgiveness and your deliverance from my past. And I say, Jesus, my Lord, my Savior, teach me how to live this life to the full, to the fullest, serving you, living the plan, the dream you created me for. Until I see you in heaven, thank you. In Jesus' mighty name, so be it. Amen. Come on, let's celebrate the goodness of God. Thanks for listening today. If you'd like to find out more about Church on the Move, like our service times, or how you can connect with us, you can visit cotmroswell.com.